Brain Allies, you are listening to Brains Out Loud, where we talk about important topics surrounding mental health, from our personal life to our work life and everywhere in between. Our goal is that through these conversations, we can help others prioritize mental health on an equivalent level to physical health. This is your co-host, Juliette speaking, and today we are here with JB Kirshner. JB is a serial business operator and general manager. Since graduating from Cornell University, he has operated high-grossing businesses in several categories. He completed his MBA from the Wisconsin School of Business after developing branded entertainment campaigns for the Independent Film Channel, otherwise known as IFC. He then joined Toys R Us as a brand manager responsible for leading their infant and toddler furniture business. After Toys R Us, Kirshner led operations at Oaxaca Taqueria, a restaurant chain in Manhattan and Brooklyn with 10 locations and more than 100 employees. A fun fact about JB is that he has an active United States patent for content platform featuring geo-based social sharing. His, he is passionate about skiing and worked for Vail Resorts as a ski instructor before completing his MBA. As JB is a man of many talents and interesting experiences, there is so much that we could discuss today. However, we are here to have an authentic conversation about JB's experience with mental health and bipolar one disorder. JB, thank you so much for being here with us today and being willing to discuss this important topic to help educate our listeners. It's my pleasure, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So would you mind by starting to take us back to when you found out that you had bipolar one disorder, what was that experience like? And how did you realize that there was something going on with your mental health that might need attending to? Yeah, so I was diagnosed in my early 20s with type 1 bipolar disorder. And the diagnosis, it didn't really come as a big surprise. And it wasn't something that was jarring or unexpected because I had been dealing with um, mental health issues since about the age of 14. And it was when I was 14 years old, um, I had a pretty uh, terrible experience where I became delusional, paranoid. Um, I was unable to sort of communicate, and it was my friends and family at that stage who knew I needed help. So from a young age, I had started seeing um, a psychiatrist, a therapist, um, and it was when I was younger, it wasn't sort of diagnosed as bipolar because they just, the diagnoses don't really come to fruition until your early 20s when it's evident of sort of what you have. So my doctors were reluctant to sort of characterize me before it was clear that I had bipolar. But after a more severe manic episode in my early 20s, um, it, it was sort of made known to me through the diagnosis that, you know, you have bipolar disorder and it, it didn't affect me much just because I had been living with it for such a long time. Um, you know, I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm bipolar this feels different. I woke up and I was the same person I was the day before. Did receiving the diagnosis help you in some capacity where you felt like maybe there was hope in terms of being able to better treat or cope with what you were dealing with? Yeah, I mean, it helped sort of elucidate what was going on, but I had been on you know, medication for bipolar um, before I was diagnosed. Um, when I was younger in that, that 14 year old period, um, 
I was on a different medication that you, that was sort of used, from my understanding, pretty regularly to treat people who were having psychosis or significant intrusive thoughts that prohibit them from sort of operating um, in reality or, or as, I, or as I'll say, like on the level, right? I mean, it was, it was totally debilitating. I couldn't communicate. Um, I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to be assassinated. And these were sort of um, not th thoughts grounded in reality. So by the time I was diagnosed, I had been sort of dealing with all these mental health challenges and these intrusive thoughts. So it helped just clarify that, you know, this is something that goes on with people, not just with me. Um, and from that regard, it was nice to know that there was a treatment path, but the diagnosis itself, itself is just sort of a label. You know, it's just, it's just something that the doctors use to help treat you. And I was sort of fine with it, as I mentioned that, you know, I was, I was bipolar. Yeah, I can relate to that. I know when I got my diagnosis, it was actually a little bit different because I had, so I'm diagnosed with OCD and when I was experiencing intrusive thoughts, um, they started coming to me very, very young. I think I can remember having intrusive thoughts as early as, you know, maybe five or six years old, um, you know, at latest. I, I can remember very distinctly having them in, in kindergarten and very early childhood. And I wasn't diagnosed until I was 21. But I had been diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. And I remember that being kind of a burden that, you know, felt relieved because I was like, okay, other people go through this, whatever, but still the intrusive thoughts weren't being identified. So when I got that diagnosis with the OCD, I was like, okay, so this is something that other people experience. I'm not crazy. I'm not messed up in the head because I was like, why am I having these horrible, disturbing thoughts that I have no control over? And I, I definitely was labeling myself and judging myself for it. So as soon as I was able to open up to a psychiatrist about that and figure out what I was dealing with, it was like this weight had been lifted off my shoulders and I felt like there was hope. Um, how long do you think that you experienced the symptoms of bipolar one disorder before being treated that, for them at all? I don't know that I was ever not treated appropriately. And I'm so grateful for that. What I will say is the treatment regimen has changed over time as I've grown and the symptoms have become either more severe or more pronounced that it's sort of this classic type one bipolar. And what might be helpful here is if I just walk you through why it was clear that I was type one bipolar um, because, because of how I sort of reacted to my environment. So I talked a little bit about that delusional, paranoid episode when I was 14, but by the time I was in college, um, the episodes became more severe. And the mania, which is really a, a characteristic of, of bipolar disorder, specifically this, this classic type one bipolar disorder, um, that was evident to not just my doctor, but to me. Um, I had, um, you know, I had totally lost touch with reality in college. I thought things that were blatantly not true, but I was acting out on them because when you're psychotic, it's really hard. It's, it's part of the illness that you don't know that you're actually doing things that are just in your head. 
um, and you're acting out on things that are not part of um, that just like like I said aren't on the level. So so just to just to to, to be clear, um, the treatment plan changed, but as the symptoms became evident, um, the 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 prescriptions I was on those would be tweaked some. Um, I was really sensitive to medication, so it would be subtle changes to a specific cocktail of of prescriptions that would um, that I'd respond to. But it wasn't like one to one, right? Like I still had to go through the, the psychotic episodes to be treated. Um, and then, as as bipolar works, you know, you 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 sort of have hypomania, hypomania, where you have racing thoughts, you're not sleeping as much, you're talking quickly. Um, and then in full-on mania, it's it's too late. Um, you just start to have these episodes that you you really kind of lost touch with reality, which I've said a few times. Um, and then later on, I mean, months later, you might dip into a pretty steep depression, um, and then that that's treated in a certain way as well. The key is for bipolar is you kind of want to treat both the mania and the depression at the same time. Um, and you don't want to overtreat one or the other because that can that can cause you to slip into the other one, the other pole. Um, now I'm not a doctor, but I can only speak to my experiences and what mania and depression feel like. Um, but I do know that because of the access to to really good care that I've had, um, I've had somebody who is a doctor sort of monitor my moods through talk therapy and make sure that that same individual makes. Uh, is able to prescribe me correctly so that I can um, avoid either mania or depression. Yeah, and would you mind putting in your own words, um, what, is what is bipolar? If we were to define it in your own words, how would you define bipolar disorder? For sure. Um, bipolar disorder for me, and again, I think that it's my understanding is there's two and maybe three types, but I can only speak to my experience. And my experience with type one is that you're prone to severe manic episodes. Now mania for me looked like um, grandiose sort of thinking. So larger than life, um, specific external media, like radio, television, um, things on the street were talking directly to me when I got really psychotic. I thought I, I was starting to listening to some external voices in my head that um, were familiar voices, but I was convinced that they were actually, you know, speaking directly to me. And I was acting out on the things that I was hearing and interpreting them and, and doing things that were, um, that I thought would be appropriate based on what I was seeing in the world. So if a certain radio station was playing, and a DJ was talking or the song was relating to my thoughts, I would actually act out on what that felt like. And I'm happy to talk more about my specific mania if that's helpful. Yeah. But um, before I do that, I'll talk about the other poll, which is depression. And depression, if you've, if you've had it, it can be just like mania, really debilitating. Um, depression is just, um, you lose sort of motivation. It's hard to get out of bed. You think that um, nothing's going to work out for you. Um, for in, in my in my instance, when I was coming out of semantic episodes, I thought that you know I'd never get back to that state where I was energized, 
and I was um, excited and, and vibrant and had this love of life and could, you know, could do a million things at once. Um, and that was tricky because the mania, despite being extremely dangerous, I mean, really dangerous, was something that was sexy and appealing to me um, after I had had some of these episodes. Interesting. So I know that I've spoken to friends of mine who also experience bipolar one disorder, and they have expressed to me that when they're feeling manic or when they're experience, experiencing mania, that it's almost a relief at times from the depression. And it's hard to recognize that it's, as you mentioned, a dangerous state or a risky state because you're so relieved from exiting that experience of depression. So it's difficult to find that balance. Did do you feel the same way at any point? Um, is it difficult to find the balance? Um, so the thing about mania for me is that imagine thinking that you're the most popular talked about person in the world and that you know, at some point in my life, I thought I was appearing on Saturday Night Live imminently. And I, you know, I drove from college toward, I went to college in upstate New York. I drove down toward New York City, toward 30 Rock, 30 Rockefeller Center to actually appear on Saturday Night Live that night, despite that being obviously completely untrue. Um, and along that journey, literally along that ride, um, I had gone missing from college. No one knew, no one knew where I was. Um, I ended up running out of gas in sort of um, upstate New York, about halfway from New York to um, Manhattan, uh, excuse me, halfway from New York to, to where I went to school in upstate New York. Um, I ended up walking barefoot on the side of a highway. I ended up trying to steal an abandoned car. Um, I ended up trying to knock on strangers' doors um, and I ended up being picked up by police officers who, fortunately for me, I wasn't threatening to them, but, and, and fortunately for me, they were sort of understanding that I wasn't really all with it at the time. And at that stage, they took me into their precinct. Um, they called uh, my family and then I had access to more treatment. Um, there were more severe episodes where um, I ended up again, in a, in a car, which probably wasn't the best idea, but I was, you know, I was sober, but I was just totally outside the realm of reality. And I had thought that this is a separate episode. I had thought that um, I needed to end the game. I was sort of playing, sort of end the, 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 the mania, which was becoming so cumbersome and so challenging. So I took my car and I drove it um, off the freeway into a, into a field, started figurating my car until it tipped on its side. And, um, you know, quickly I was arrested again because these are not things that are normal for someone to sort of drive into a field and, 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 and tip their car over. And it was that stage that I had to seek more um, significant treatment, um, you know. So, so mania in itself is, is sort of, you know, is, 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 is sort of dangerous. In fact, it's very dangerous. But what's hard for other people to understand is like, how could you possibly have thought that you're running for Saturday Night Live, right? How could you have possibly thought that flipping your car over was a good idea? But when you've reached that stage, when you're going past sort of the yellow zone into that red zone, 
it's really hard for anyone to convince you otherwise that things you're doing um, are irrational, especially because you look fine. I mean, physically you look fine. It's not like you've broken your, your arm and it's like you need to treat your arm being broken. You actually look okay. But the, the psychosis is what really, um, really can kind of do you in, in terms of danger to yourself. Um, and it was always sort of just danger to myself. Um, I was never, you know, fortunately for me, I had, I've always had a love of life. I've always been kind of a happy person. Um, it was never sort of, um, it was never suicidal thoughts. It was never um, harm to self, but it was like actions I would take that were so daredevilish mm. that they could actually be harmful to me. Right. That's interesting how you discussed earlier that the police officers were able to tell that you maybe weren't in the best state of mind and that protected you in that situation. What would you say is the best way for someone to help someone who might be in an episode of psychosis or a manic episode if they don't have the training to recognize this? Um, what's the best way to help someone if they're in this state? For sure. So there's sort of a twofold answer here. One is that you can recognize that someone is operating outside of reality by what they do or say by asking them some really simple questions. And those simple questions are just about like, what are you thinking? You know, what, what are you feeling right now? And the other part of that strategy that I would recommend avoiding is saying, just snap out of it. Or like, no, you're wrong. This isn't, this isn't sort of, you're not going to be appearing on Saturday Night Live because that person is beyond the realm of being convinced that their thoughts are irrational. So what I recommend to people who see someone who might be experiencing manic symptoms is just to ask them some simple questions and, you know, talk to them sort of um, openly because it'll become very, very clear, very quickly if someone's manic, that they are manic to someone who's not manic. Right. Um, and you don't want to just push them so hard. The, the individual who's experiencing the mania, you don't want to push them so hard to be like, oh, no, no, this is ridiculous. Just you're being you're being crazy. Um, you need to sort of discover that on on your own. And then if they are in that manic state. You want to encourage them to get the help they need. In my case, you know, when I flipped my own car you know, I was arrested and, and I was put into a, a place where I could get treatment. I was put into a psychiatric ward where um, I could be observed and I could work through some of the manic tendencies I was having. I mean, I was sort of forced to go there, but it was, you know, I wasn't, again, I wasn't objecting to it. I was just, you know, okay, I, I get it. I have to, I have to be in, in, in the hospital. But even after that, right, even after that, there's a withdrawal from the mania, which is like, did I really do things that, did, did my brain really distort reality so much? How could it, you know, it, you, you can't correct that um, immediately. It's gotta be a gradual process. And then for me, the depression happens months later. Interesting. Why do you think you've always been so receptive 
to getting help, seeking treatment? What do you think it is about your experiences and perhaps your character traits that allow you to recognize that this is something that you need to do opposed to someone who might be scared to seek treatment or be unsure if that's the right opportunity or situation for them? Would, could you speak to that a little bit? I'll do my best. Um, I always wanted to live a more, call it normal life. I wanted to graduate on time. I wanted to get a job. I wanted to have friends and I wanted to um, lastly, you know, not put my, my family through some of the hardships that they had forced to um, deal with because they were living with somebody who had this illness. So someone who's concerned about seeking treatment, they might want to consider their friends and loved ones and the effect that has on them. Um, in my case, I was receptive to treatment because I, I trusted my doctor. Um, he probably outlined to um, my, my family at a young age what to expect of somebody who was going to be experiencing bipolar disorder. Again, they didn't put the cart in front of the horse. I wasn't officially diagnosed till my early 20s. But at 14, there was probably signs there that like, you might be bipolar. It wasn't communicated to me, but it was probably communicated to my family, the ones paying for this treatment when at a young age saying, you can expect there could be psychosis down the line. You can expect that there's, there could be rocky moments, but if, if he's willing to treat himself and you're willing to continue to um, get care for, your, for, for him, for me, um, he will get through this. And that's what it was for me. I mean, today I haven't had a manic episode in um, about 10 years. And, um, you know, it's, it's so much nicer to operate in reality and be a fully functioning adult than it is to live with the fear of falling into mania. And like I said, part of the psychosis is just not knowing that you're, that you're manic. And that can be dangerous because it's dangerous when you're doing these daredevil stunts because you think that it's the right thing to do. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it sounds like you had and have an amazing doctor that you have an amazing support system, which is so key. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is that lucky, but it also goes to show that if we know someone in our life who might be dealing with a mental health issue, whatever it might be, how important it is for us to show that unconditional support and to be understanding and to be patient. And, you know, I can't even say, I can't even put to words how eloquent your response has been and how helpful it has been for me. Um, it sounds like you mentioned that you haven't experienced a manic episode in 10 years. That's a really long time and that's it's pretty damn impressive. Um, and it sounds like in some capacity, this is something we always live with, right? Our diagnosis, it's not who we are. We don't want to define ourselves by our diagnosis. It's something separate from us that we experience, that we live with, that we have to cope with. But it does show that there is light at the end of the tunnel and there's going to be moments of darkness and there are going to be moments where we experience pain that might feel similar to something we've experienced in the past, but it does get better. 
Um, and I, it sounds like you're a really great example of that. So I wanted to honor you for sharing that and, and congratulate you on for, you know, for being able to learn to cope and to get through this. And it sounds like you have a, a real story of resilience. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, one of the analogies I like to make is if you have diabetes, you know, you have to treat your diabetes every day and there's no stigma surrounding having to take insulin and, and check your blood sugar levels. Um, if you live with bipolar disorder, you need to put yourself in a position to succeed. And I don't know what that path looks like for everybody. I only know what it looks like for me. Um, for me, it's been talk therapy and uh, seeing a psychiatrist who can prescribe and tweak medications as necessary and doing routine blood work to make sure that um, you know, nothing's affecting my blood calcium levels and some, some scientific stuff that I really don't know about, but I put someone else in a position to make sure that I'm healthy and able to function and that some of the things I take aren't affecting me from a scientifically or a, or a biologically adverse perspective. Um, but it is per there is a lot of perseverance and for anyone struggling with any kind of uh, mental illness, whether that be bipolar disorder, OCD, PTSD, um, BPD, you know, the list goes on, chronic depression. It, it can get better if you know that, you know, over time and you put, and you, if you know that you're willing to put yourself in a position to succeed, you need to, you need to want to get better because these illnesses can be debilitating. Um, you mentioned that you struggle, that you live with OCD, and I've, I know how debilitating that can be. Um, but there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel if you're willing to, um, like I said, put yourself in a position to succeed. And I'm not here to preach on what that looks like and what the path is for everybody. But if you want to feel better, then you need to take your mental health seriously. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's an ongoing maintenance, mm -hmm. right? So it's ongoing upkeep. It's taking your medication, if that's what your doctor thinks is best for you, in addition to practicing self-care and self-help and coping strategies. And I think it's safe to say that even when we are in a space where we feel comfortable and we feel like we're striving and, and succeeding, there are fleeting moments of pain and darkness and intrusive thoughts throughout your recovery but I do think that you become more equipped to deal with them. And I think that's been one of the biggest learning curves for me and opportunities for me to find resilience in my mental health journey. Even last night, I was having really, really uncomfortable symptoms of OCDs. And then I was like, okay, well, what have I learned? What have I learned about what I need to do in order to cope with this? in the moment and reviewing those tools and reviewing those self-help strategies allowed me to get through that outbreak, so to speak, of my OCD in about an hour and a half and then reside from it and go to bed opposed to if that had happened to me a couple of years ago, it would have, you know, really escalated. I just was so proud of myself. Like I was able to use what I learned to actually help myself get through this and I just love what you said about like figuring out what does that path looks like for you? How can you put yourself in the best situation to succeed and to feel happiness? And it's not an easy answer or an easy solution. It's not. And, you know, days are going to be different 
Um, for me, I remember what mania feels like. And I remember sort of the thought lines that are tied to my psychosis, which again is this grandiosity. Um, and I can sort of fantasize about that and remember it. And that's still healthy because I'm not acting out on things that I know are just fantasy. And conversely, if I'm sort of sad or depressed, um, which is not the same thing, by the way, but if I am in a place where I'm not feeling so great, I know that I can wake up and, and, and have another chance at, at feeling better. Um, the challenge with bipolar disorder is that you don't want to, you don't want to sort of push someone who's feeling depressed toward mania, because my understanding is that some of the things that you can take for depression can elevate your mood. And um, you don't want to sort of push down the, the mania so much that you fall into a more sad and depressed state. But again, I kind of leave that to my doctor because through talk therapy and then his ability, he's a psychiatrist, so his ability to prescribe medications, he's able to make the judgments on what the best regimen is from a medication standpoint. And with regards to self-help, you know, there are things that you can do that will affect your ability to act rationally. And I, I try to avoid the things that um, reduce my ability to stay grounded. Um, you know, obviously exercise is great, right? And like being active is great, but there are certain things that I could put in my body that would reduce my rational senses. And that can be dangerous because you just, anybody who does certain, you know, anybody who does certain things would sort of potentially lose touch with reality by just engaging in those activities. So if, if you're sort of prone to, um, and I'm not here to preach, but if you're prone to mania or depression, certain times in your life, it might be best to avoid things that prohibit your rational senses from operating in full capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a very important point and alludes to self-awareness, right? Like learning what works with your body and what does not work for your body and making responsible decisions as a result of that. And it's hard, it's hard. when you, when you have a mental illness, you were dealt a deck of cards that was more challenging than maybe the person next to you. And that's not to say that everybody does not experience mental health and mental health issues in some capacity, because I think we all do. We've all experienced variations of pain and mental health distress, um, but different disorders affect us differently. And some of us can have different experiences uh, that are altered by whether it's a substance or a relationship or an activity. And it's hard. It's like, you have to make that responsible decision that says, I want to do this thing that everybody else is doing and it seems fun and it's attractive but for me it's not going to affect them the way that it affects me so I have to take this decision to step back from it and it, it's hard like it's added responsibility but when you make those responsible decisions and you push through those difficult times um you can feel proud of yourself too like you should feel proud of yourself for doing that after my most severe manic episode which occurred while I was in college uh, 
right before the last semester started, I was in an institution for about a week. And I said, I really want to graduate on time. It's really important to me that I graduate from my university on time. And retrospectively, my understanding was that some of the doctors at the facility I was at were conflicted whether to let me go back to an environment where they knew in college there's a lot of substances. But I said, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use those substances when I return. I'm not going to force people who are around me to not use them because there was a lot of that in the, in the circle that I was in. Um, but I'm not going to do these things. And I gave them my word and I gave my family my word. And I was allowed to go back to school, um, did graduate on time and you know, fulfilled my end of the bargain, which was to avoid uh, drugs and alcohol because it could have prohibited me from acting rationally. You have, you said it, you have to kind of be self-aware. You have to know what your limitations are, especially coming in and out of, in my case, mania, but in other cases, it can be episodes from different mental illnesses. Um, self-awareness and self-care is huge because at the end of the day, you know yourself better than anybody. You know, you, you are your, you're going to live with yourself for the rest of your life. So you have to know what puts you in the position to succeed. Um, and if you're not willing to kind of put in that work because you said you're, you're living with something that could be more challenging than somebody else who doesn't live with mental illness and they've got their own challenges. But you know, if you're not willing to put in the, the time and effort to, um, to live a productive life, it could be a challenging road ahead. So I'm really grateful that for me, I was able to um, take the advice of some of my support systems and in my case, graduate on time uh, from university, which was a big accomplishment for me. Yeah, a huge accomplishment. And I think it it's a huge accomplishment to deal with a mental health issue, especially one that's severe, and to try to live in school at the same time. Like I know that when I was going through school and I had extreme anxiety. I mean, one, I ran into issues with going out and just wanting to drink because it would help subside some of that anxiety. I ran into issues with trying to keep up with the social scene and pushing myself into uncomfortable situations so that I could feel like I fit in, even though it triggered my social anxiety and triggered my OCD. And then it's just hard to get yourself to go to class and to do homework when like you're feeling anxious and you're feeling depressed. So to be able to set those limitations and to set those goals and to achieve them is a really big deal. And it's something to be really proud of. I wanted to go back to a word that you used earlier. You used the word psychotic and we've talked about psychosis. And I wanted to know your perspective because psychosis is something that we experience um, based off of certain mental health issues, right? So an episode of psychosis can come through different mental health issues or mental illnesses. Um, psychosis can also be drug induced based off of certain substances. And when you're in an episode of psychosis, you can experience psychotic tendencies. And I wanted to know if you feel that the word psychotic has become stigmatized as people often use it in a negative and harmful way. Um, and what does that mean to you when you hear people say things like, oh, that person's acting psychotic? 
Yeah, it's tough. Um, it's tough if you've ever had a psychotic episode. It's tough if you know that you take medication that's prescribed for people who have psychotic episodes. Um, but the word bipolar gets thrown around too, and it's not, people don't really understand the illness. Um, again, there's two types and I don't fully understand, or there might be more, but I don't fully understand the other types, but I understand my type. And when people think that it's just someone who's moody and kind of, you know, goes up and down or, or just, just moody, like, you know, it, it can, it can, it can hurt a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, I know what I'm capable of and I know what psychotic means. So if someone uses it incorrectly, I try not to hold it against them just because there hasn't been enough awareness and education surrounding what it means to go through a psychotic episode. Yeah, I, I agree with that. People using mental illnesses as adjectives is very common and it's extremely stigmatizing. And I see it for bipolar a lot, as you mentioned, people either misunderstanding bipolar as someone who is just moody, having constant ups and downs, and maybe they're in a better mood in the morning than they are at the end of the day, right? Um, or people even say things like, oh, the weather is so bipolar today because it was sunny in the morning and now it's raining. Right. Um, I hear people using stigmatizing language for OCD. Oh, my OCD is coming out or she's so OCD. People do it with eating disorders. Oh, that girl's so anorexic. People do it. Um, you know, people misuse suicide and say, oh, go kill yourself or that person's acting suicidal. They don't understand the harm that it creates and the stigma that it initiates. And that stigma then serves as this pervasive barrier that prevents people from getting treatment. So luckily for people like me and you, who've had good support systems and good education and we've been able to learn about our mental health issues, we can kind of say, okay, well, we know what this is like for us. We know the reality of it and we know that we're treating it and living with it to the best of our ability. And we're gonna keep seeking out treatment regardless of the stigma that exists. But there are people who stop themselves from seeking out treatment because they're scared of the stigma associated. And I think that just comes from a lack of education. And as you mentioned, like you try not to use it against people because people make assumptions about things that they don't understand. Um, and people fear things that they don't understand. So that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you today where you could speak to your own experiences, especially in a positive light, because yes, you've shared your experiences with bipolar one that have been difficult, but you've also shown that you've worked through a lot of these things. You still have a happy, healthy life. You haven't had a manic episode in 10 years. You have a great support system. And so it shows that there is hope for people who are struggling right now and don't see a better future. So I just wanted to thank you so much for being willing to educate and share your story and to be vulnerable in this space with me. It's my pleasure. Um, anyone living with mental illness or dealing with mental health challenges knows how debilitating they can be. So you're sort of faced with the choice of living with something that's so challenging or trying to get in front of it and be productive and, and, and live your most healthy life. And that path is different for everyone. Um, but I try not to let a couple of uh, it, uninformed individuals who throw around terms like bipolar, psychotic, anorexic, depressed, OCD, 
and they use these terms and they're ill-informed and they're using them incorrectly, I try not to let those folks influence my treatment path because I know what's best for me. Yeah, thank you so much. That's, that's such an important point and it's important for me to even remember when I think about, you know, my OCD and my frustrations with people who don't understand it and continuing my treatment with it, because to be completely authentic, I definitely go through phases where I'm like, I'm exhausted of this, or I don't feel like going to therapy this week, or I'm so tired of my therapist not understanding what I'm going through instead of finding the right therapist. So it's just a process and it again requires that ongoing resilience and maintenance and I just you know you're in, you've really inspired me today and, and have really helped I'm sure a lot of our listeners who needed to educate themselves on this manner or maybe who are experiencing bipolar one and, and needed someone that they could relate to so thank you so much for being here today and wanted to give you the floor to to share any final thoughts if there was anything you wanted to say before I close out yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me, but it is a process um, and it can be challenging. And sometimes even the most critically acclaimed experts might get diagnoses wrong or that you might not respond to treatment the way you had hoped. It might not happen as fast as you would like, but stay the course and treat your mental health on, on par with physical health because the danger is real for people who live with mental illness if they don't. Um, thanks. Thank you so much, JB. This is JB Krishner and this is Brains Out Loud and thank you for everybody who listened today.